Okay. Just a quick announcement that uh, tonight at 6 o'clock we'll be doing our child protection policy training at the church. Uh, so that is mandatory if you work in Christ Central Kids to take once every calendar year. Uh, so you can come out tonight and get that done with for 2013. Uh, and even if you're not currently working in Christ Central Kids but think that maybe the Lord might call you to work there this year, it would be good to get that under your belt. So, yes, and I'll be praying that the Lord does call you to do that. So, come on out tonight, 6 o'clock at the building, upstairs, and, uh, and uh, we'll do child protection policy training. <clears throat> okay, I'd like to say as well that uh, it's a real privilege to be a part of this church after this morning. Just a great time in worship and just the, the uh, family that we have here. It's uh, a real privilege and uh, I hope you feel the same way. <clears throat> if you're new here this morning, we hope that you feel very welcome. And uh, we're very happy that you've uh, made it a point to come here. And uh, thanks for coming. So, here we go. So this morning we're going to finish our look at... Uh, a portion of scripture that we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount, uh, preached by Jesus. Um, it covers a, a wide range of topics, and we've been preaching through it for the last, uh, since middle of November or so. And uh, it starts with the Beatitudes, and uh, we talked about that being the entrance into the kingdom. And then uh, for the next three chapters, we see life inside the kingdom and what that looks like. And then uh, this morning, we'll look at how Jesus wraps up his sermon, how he concludes the Sermon on the Mount with uh, probably a familiar portion of scripture for most of you about the wise man who built his house on the rock and the foolish man who built his house on the sand. <clears throat> so I'll read through it and then we'll go back and, uh, and take a look. So Matthew 7, starting in verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And then I'll just read the last verse that, that wraps up. Uh, it shows their response to Jesus' whole sermon. It says, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at His teaching, for He was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Father, we just pray that You would uh, be with us this morning. Uh, we pray that Your Holy Spirit would, uh, would illuminate the Scriptures to us, uh, that You'd give us ears to hear, and hearts to understand what you want to teach us this morning, Father. We thank you for your great grace on our lives. And uh, we thank you that you are a God who wants to be with us, who wants to be involved in our lives. And uh, we just pray, Father, that you would continue to meet with us here this morning as you already have been. We pray this in the name of your Son. Amen. Okay, so <clears throat> when we look at this, uh, this, pas this passage of Scripture, uh, we're going to ask three questions. 
uh, three questions that I think are good uh, to ask from here. And it's, how do we hear the words of Jesus? How do we obey the words of Jesus? And what does it mean that our house will stand? So how do we hear? How do we obey? And what does it mean when Jesus says that your house will stand? So, <clears throat> we'll look at the first, first section, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine. <clears throat> it's hard for us to get to obedience if we don't first hear the command. <clears throat> so we'll see what is meant by obedience and its importance in a minute. But to get to obedience, we need to listen first. So once or twice, I've said to my children, you need to listen and obey. It's a few times. <clears throat> and so they have to actually listen to what I'm saying to them in order for them to obey what I am telling them. They have to stop what they're doing. They have to put down their dolls or turn away from the TV and focus and process what I'm saying so that they can do it. And sometimes I'll say to Nathaniel, can you take that cup to the kitchen? And he's doing something, doing whatever, being a superhero, whatever. And he picks up the cup and he takes a couple steps and then he just stands there because he, doesn't real, doesn't, he hasn't processed what he was supposed to do. And he says, what am I supposed to do with the cup again? So, so even more so than you need to listen and obey, I should probably say you, should, you need to listen so you can obey. And really because of that, listening is at the heart of our relationship with God. And we've already talked about it this morning. Uh, Gary talked a bit about it, but how, how does God speak to us uh, so that we can hear? And if we believe the Bible then we believe that God can speak to us through a few different ways. We see in the Bible that on rare occasions, He speaks audibly from heaven. At Jesus' baptism, at uh, Saul's conversion, He speaks audibly from heaven. That doesn't happen very often. Uh, we see in the Christmas story that God can speak to us through dreams. He talks to Joseph in a dream and warns him about uh, Herod's plan. And so God can speak to us through dreams or visions like he did uh, with the Apostle Peter. Uh, he can speak to us through the Holy Spirit in our hearts or in our spirit, in our inner man, uh, whatever way you want to say it. But he can speak to us on the inside, uh, prompting us to do things, guiding us, um, bringing Scripture to mind like Andrew this morning felt the Lord wanted to share that passage of Scripture. So God can speak to us uh, through our spirits. But the primary way that God speaks with us today is through His Word. <clears throat> through the Bible. It's the most accessible way. You can't just stand on your step and ask God to speak to you from heaven. And when you're dreaming, you're asleep. But at any time, you can pick up the Word of God and read it and hear from God. So anytime, any place, you could be on the bus going to work and God can speak to you. You could be eating your lunch in the cafeteria and God can speak to you. <clears throat> you could be laying in your bed at night and God can speak to you through his word. <clears throat> also, the Bible is the standard for which we measure everything else against. Uh, so 
if you have this crazy dream and then you go to Joe and you say, I had this dream last night and I think the Lord wants me to add animal sacrifices back into my worship of Him, guess what Joe's going to do? He's going to open the Word and he's going to see if what your dream, what you think God spoke to you in a dream, lines up with His Word. Okay? So it's the standard for which we measure everything else against. So it's our primary source of hearing from God is through His Word. And so, we need to read the Bible. Obvious, but needs to be stated. And so a few weeks ago, on the 23rd, when I preached, I preached about one of my points was our need to behold Jesus. And, and we talked about a verse from 2 Corinthians 3.18 where it says, in beholding Jesus, we are made in his, in his likeness. That's our transformation. When we behold Jesus, then we become like Him. We talked about seeing is becoming, okay, if you can jog your memory. And so if you thought, if you left and said, well, that's all well and good, but how do I actually behold Jesus? If you were feeling like there wasn't much on the practical side there, this is the practical side. So if you're wondering, how do I behold Jesus? You behold Jesus in his word. So if you want to become like Jesus, you need to behold Jesus in the 66 books of the Bible. Because the whole Bible points to Him. It's what every book is about. And if you don't see that, I encourage you to go buy the Jesus Storybook Bible, even if you don't have kids. It's fantastic. I read it to the kids almost every night, and it does such a great job at just showing how everything is pointing to the great Rescuer who is coming. How everything in the Bible, everything through the Old Testament, is pointing to Jesus. And it talks of, the, uh, talks of the rescuer coming and how God displays His never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And, it all, and any of you that have it, Graham's applauding. It's fantastic. So, the Jesus Storybook Bible. But that's what, it's what the Bible is all about. It's all about Jesus. Okay? And I know we've kind of hammered that a bit, but it's It's vital. Okay, They're not just fancy stories about a guy being swallowed by a whale and walls falling down and, and all that. It's all about Jesus. Okay, <clears throat> So, if you're a Christian here this morning and you don't really make it a priority to read your Bible, uh, if it's not even on your radar... I would venture to guess that you, you probably will check off one of the, at least one of the following in this list. If you're, not, if you're not daily feeding or regularly feeding on the Word of God, then you probably also don't have much motivation to live the Christian life. You probably find it hard to resist temptation. You probably don't have a great desire to pray. You're stressed and worried. You don't often think about eternal things. You're just focused on the here and the now. You're not overly engaged in worship. You find it hard to stay awake during sermons. Any of those things could be in there, okay? When we feed on the Word of God, it changes. It changes us. And I, and I speak because I know it from my own life. I know when I'm not in the Word, then those things are true in me. And I don't think I'm overly odd. So... 
your laughter wasn't that encouraging. <laughs> but how you read the Bible and how you live your Christian life, they're all tangled up in together, okay? And it's not that it's some magic book. It's not magic. It's just the words of the living God, omnipresent creator of the universe, okay? <clears throat> so, we need to be a church that is in the Word of God. And if I can just give a small encouragement to any husbands and fathers here this morning, uh, the responsibility on you as you lead your family, as you lead your, your wife or your children, the responsibility is immense. And how important it is for you to be regularly in the Word of God. Don't make it harder than it has to be. You can take the parenting classes and you can read marriage books and they're great and I encourage you to do it. But if you're not regularly feeding on the Word of God, you're, you're missing it. And if you're not married and you don't have kids, prepare. Get ready. Be in the Word of God. Don't, don't stay up till 2 o'clock playing Call of Duty. Okay? Be in the Word of God. You will never have less responsibility than you do right now. And you will never have less free time than you have right now. And so use it wisely. <clears throat> so if you haven't been reading your Bible, make... Make today the day and go home and read your Bible after I'm done. All right now. <clears throat> but, but we believe so strongly in the great need for God's people to be reading His Word. Uh, we want to provide you with as many resources as we can to help you. Uh, we want to encourage you in it and, uh, because it's hard. And we know that it's hard. And it's hard to be regularly... Uh, in the Word of God, um, just like most things that are important are, right? It's hard, it's hard to be healthy and to stay fit, but it's important. And it's hard to build a strong marriage, and it's important. And it's hard to raise kids, and it's important. And it's hard to be in the Word of God and building your relationship with God because it's important. And sometimes it will seem like everything is against you and your mind can't focus and it takes your energy and self-control and commitment, but it only shows how vital it is for your life. <clears throat> Just think of, of, the, of the people, the Christian uh, men and women that you look up to, that you see as great examples of the Christian faith and you look at them and you see the things that you're do, they're doing for the Lord and just the way they lead their families or, or whatever it might be, are they not just full of the Word of God, those people that you know? They're just dripping with Scripture. <clears throat> so we recognize that it's tough and just with a lot of difficult things, a plan is helpful. There are strategies for war, and there's blueprints for houses, and oftentimes with reading our Bible, a plan can be very helpful, and so 
Uh, we want to offer that to you. So there's one on the, uh, on the welcome stand. It's called Hear, Obey, Stand. Just like the title of the sermon this morning. And it's a, a 53-week Christ-focused Bible reading plan. And so I want to encourage you to pick one up on your way out. Uh, get a friend. Do it together. Consider doing it with your life group. Um, do it as a couple. Uh, whatever you want to do. But just get it and, and go through it if, if you find it helpful. We want to provide you with those resources. And so I've also added two articles on the back from the Gospel Coalition just to, to help you in your Bible reading as well. One's called How Not to Read Your Bible. And the other one is How to Pray Using Scripture. And so I just want to encourage you to pick that up and uh, just use it as a tool. There's just a little note on the back that talks about, you know, don't feel the, uh, the burden of trying to get, all, get through it all in 53 weeks. There's still grace in it. And, uh, and you just go through it as you can and not to feel condemned if you don't get to check the box in that day. Um, but just use it. Woo! Just use it as a tool. Just use it as a tool to help you stay focused, to help you be regularly feeding on the Word. Okay? So, pick it up. Do it. Take it home today. Your reading today is Psalm 1 and 2. So, get it. Read Psalm 1 and 2. And don't look back. Okay? So, if, if you're like me, and sometimes I know in my mind, I can kind of blow things up and make it seem harder than it actually is. I don't know if anybody else does that, but uh, I picture like, oh, I've got to do this, and I make it seem like a two-hour project when it's really just like a half hour. Okay? So, if you're like me, sometimes these things that I'm about to say can be helpful. So, if you think that it's too much and too big of a task, just consider this, okay? There's 774, 74, oh, I don't know how to say that. 774, comma, 746. Anyways, words in the Bible, okay? So over 700,000 words in the Bible. A slow reader reads around 200 words per minute, okay? So if you read for just 15 minutes a day, you can read the whole Bible in 248 days. That's eight and a half months. So that's like what? In September sometime you could be done. Okay? So it's, don't make it seem bigger than it actually is. That's 15 minutes a day. That's your coffee break. Okay? You take your coffee break, you read 15 minutes a day at a slow pace of 200 words per minute, you're done in September. Okay? Not that it's a race or a contest or anything like that, but just to keep things in perspective, okay? <clears throat> if you read for 30 minutes a day, you could almost get through the Bible three times in a year. Okay? So, just to bring things into reality. So, we're going to move on quick, but for those of you who might be breaking new ground, if you decide to pick up that Bible reading plan and start to really dig into God's Word, uh, just a couple things, okay? So you've got the plan, and I encourage you to set a time, okay? So 7.15, noon, 8.30 at night, whenever you get the kids to bed, something like that, regular, that will help you stay on track. If you just say, I'll read whenever, then it'll be 11.30, your head's hitting the pillow, and the day's gone, okay? And we know how quickly the days can go by. So you've got a plan, you set the time, now get a pen, 
Those are my three things, okay? Get a plan, set the time, and get a pen. Underline, circle, put stars, put exclamation points, put wow if you want, anything. I remember as a kid looking at my mom's Bible and she always had like wow and whoa. I thought it was kind of neat, anyways. So, write notes in a journal, write notes on the page. Anything, don't be afraid to mark up your Bible, okay? When I was like 20, I had an NASB wide margin and I rocked that thing. There was things on the side and I just made a mess of it. And it's embarrassing now to go back and read the notes you wrote when you were 20, but that's okay, okay? So, don't be afraid to mark up your Bible. The Bible is fundamental to your relationship with God. It's like honey on your lips. It's living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. It's like a fire that burns in your heart and a hammer that breaks rocks. It stands forever. It gives light and understanding to the simple and makes us wise for salvation. It revives the soul. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So we need to be a people. We need to be a people who love the word of God, who love to read it, who love to memorize it, who love to teach it to our children, who love to hear it preached and prayed and sung. Amen. Okay. So, everyone who hears these words of mine, and then the next part is, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. And so, this is where the obey comes in. And this is the key. This is what separates the two men in Jesus' story. Both men heard the words of Jesus. Okay? So, if we look at that in our setting, both men read the Bible. Both men heard from God. Both men came on Sunday morning and listened to the sermon. Both men heard the word at life group. But only one man obeyed and it made all the difference. So just let, just take a minute to let that sink in, okay? At first glance, there is nothing that looks different from the two houses. They're framed in the same. The windows are in the same place. They've got the same shingles, the same siding. Everything looks the same until you take the stairs to the basement and see that one has a concrete foundation and the other is like a sandcastle sand wall just waiting to collapse. Okay? And so for us today, you might read the Bible, you might come to church, listen to the sermon, go to life group, and do all the things of hearing the Word of God and it gives the appearance that your house is built well but really it's ready to collapse at any site of storm because you're not obeying. You're hearing, but you're not obeying. Hearing a sermon, reading the Bible are fantastic, but the man whose house was destroyed heard as well. And so Jesus points us to obedience. And as I said, since having three kids, I probably say the word obey or some form of it probably three to four thousand times a day. And so, but the funny thing is, and you that are parents as well know, that just 
your child doing what you've asked them to do, just them physically doing what you asked them to do, isn't enough. And so if you take your child, if you ask your child to take the garbage out, and they pick up the garbage, and they go, "Ah," and they roll their eyes, and they drag it out, and they throw it down, and they give you the death stare. It's not real obedience, right? Obedience needs to look a certain way. And somewhere along the way, uh, Karen found this great thing uh, about obedience, just how we can teach our children obedience. And uh, what you do, you hold up your, your hand, and you get them to say, so this is, this is free parenting class. This is the parenting class primer. Okay? So you, hold up their, you get to hold up their hand, and they say, Yes, Daddy, I will obey right away, all the way, the happy way. Okay? Yes, Daddy, I will obey right away, all the way, the happy way. Okay? And so those are the three points under obedience that we're going to look at. So, yes, Daddy, I will obey right away, all the way, the happy way. And the reason that I like this so much and the reason I think it's so great is because so much of parenting isn't just keeping them safe and teaching them life skills and doing all those things. Those things are great, but so much of parenting is preparing them to understand God as they get older. Okay, So it's setting them up to easily understand the character of God and what He requires of them and how He relates to them. And so with this, yes, Daddy, I will obey right away, all the way, the happy way, you teach that to your kids, and when they get older, they see that same obedience required of them from God. John Piper says that you need to be God to your child until they know that you're not. So, I will obey right away. And we'll call this the nowness of obedience. And this is important because we tend to put obedience off into the future. And so, you may find yourself thinking sometimes, uh, once I get that promotion, I'll be able to start tithing. Or, when we get that bigger house, I'll be able to be more patient with the kids. Or, this Bible reading plan looks great. I can't wait till I'm done midterms and I can start it. And then, after having thought something like that, we then congratulate ourselves on our obedience. We imagine ourselves being obedient in the future and then think of ourselves as actually being obedient. So we replace actual obedience with the idea of obedience because when you put it off into the future, when you get there, there's always something else that you can add in and say, well, I'm done midterms now, but I didn't know my course load was going to be this heavy, so I can't wait till I get the course load done, then I can do it. Or you get the bigger house, bigger house, bigger mess. Man, if I could just get this, then I could be more patient with the kids. Or you get the promotion, but then your, your child graduates and you've got to pay for school. Well, I just can't wait till I get them through school, then I can start tithing. Do you see? And so, <clears throat> we, we replace obedience with future obedience and then, and then congratulate ourselves on our obedience. But the God 
but God calls us to be obedient. When He calls us to be obedient, there's an immediacy to our obedience. Hebrews 3.7 says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. And Joshua stands before the Israelites and says, Choose you this day who you will serve. So the idea or the intent to be obedient in the future is not obedience. Okay, There's a nowness to obedience. So I will obey right away. And then we have all the way. I will obey right away, all the way. So this is the fullness of obedience. So in the same way that future obedience is not obedience, partial obedience is not really obedience. And so uh, Karen and I were talking the other night about a time a few years ago. Nathaniel was about three, and I went down, and I opened his door. And it looked like a scene from a post-apocalyptic movie. There was clothes and toys everywhere, and I thought we had fast-forwarded ten years that he was a teenager. But so I was just like, whoa, buddy, what happened? And he said, I don't know. (laughs) And so I told him to clean it up, that he couldn't even walk on the floor. And we closed his door, and we went down, and he came out a while later and said he was done, and Karen and I went down, and when you opened the door, at first sign, it looked like the room was clean. The floor was empty, you could walk around. Then we noticed this large mound on the bed, covered in a blanket, and so you flip that back, and there's a bunch of toys, and then you notice things sticking out from under the bed, and you look under the bed, so he had taken everything on his floor, he had shoved it till he couldn't shove any more under the bed. Then he had took the, taken the remainder, put it on, and thrown the blanket over. And then came out and said, there, the floor is empty, my room is clean. And so, <clears throat> he had obeyed and cleaned his room. You could walk around in there, but it was a partial obedience. And so, if you look with me, Back at 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 15, there was a guy named Saul. He was the king of Israel. And, uh, and the Lord tells him to go to this place and completely destroy everything that is there. And so Saul goes and he compl- destroys almost everything, but he keeps some sheep and he keeps some oxen, supposedly to offer them as sacrifices to God. And when he returns, he is greeted by Samuel the prophet, who says... Uh, 1 Samuel 15, verse 17, and Samuel said, "Though you are little in your own eyes, you are not the head of the tri- are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, "Go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord?" And Saul said to Samuel. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey 
is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. And so Samuel did what God wanted him to do just in a way that he wanted to do it. Okay? So he thought his way was better. God wanted everything destroyed. I'll destroy almost everything, but I'll keep these for God anyways. So my way is actually better than God's way. So just like Nathaniel pushing all the toys under his bed, he obeyed on his terms. Nathaniel says, Dad wants my floor clean. He wants me to be able to walk around. He said, clean it up. I'll just push it under my bed. I'll do things the way I want to do it. And it's not true obedience. And when we continue reading the story of Saul, you find out that the Lord treats Saul's partial obedience the same as disobedience. He refers to it as rebellion against God and a rejection of His Word. And so our obedience needs to be full obedience. And the last one is the happy way. So, I will obey right away, all the way, the happy way. And this is the joyfulness of obedience. Psalm 102 says, Serve the Lord with gladness. 2 Corinthians 9.7 The Lord loves a cheerful giver. And it could possibly be the hardest of the three, but it's really the crown of obedience. So how often do we ask our children to do something and they moan and groan, roll their eyes, sigh, take on the posture of a defeated soldier returning home from war? (laughs) Right? There's no joy in their obedience. Do they do what we ask them to do? Yes, but they do it begrudgingly through anger or complaining or self-pity. And in the same way, we can obey God. We read His words. We can hear from Him, and we can obey Him right away, and we can do everything that He asks us to do, but we do it joyless. We do it without happiness. We do it, but we find no pleasure in obeying God. And you may think that it's a little much. If God wants me, if God wants me to do that, and if I don't put it off, and if I do everything He asks, what does it matter what attitude I have while I do it? But really, God says that your attitude is everything. Your joyfulness and your obedience is everything. Uh, Just the next chapter in 1 Samuel, he says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So if you obey outwardly, but in your heart you do it out of anger or duty, all you're saying is, I will do it, but deep down there is a better form of joy that my obedience is keeping me from. I will do it, but deep down there is a better form of joy that my obedience is keeping me from. I take no joy in obeying because I believe my way would bring me greater joy. That's what we're saying to God when we obey without being joyful. And obedience and joy are all wrapped up together. So if nothing else sticks from from me talking about this, just listen to this, okay? <clears throat> if, if while I've been talking about obedience and, and talking about you know hearing from God and obeying God, if the idea of obedience makes the attitude of your heart say, great, here's a long list of do's and don'ts, 
I hear the crack of the whip as God looks over my shoulder to see if I've checked all the boxes off. If you see no joy in obedience to God, then either I haven't done a very good job or that you're just not understanding the character of God and who He is and how He relates to you. Because God is not a hard taskmaster saying, do this or else. He is a loving Father saying, this is the best way. The route that I am showing you is the route to the most joy, the most peace. This is the road to life. He's a loving Father. He's not a hard taskmaster. You are His child. You're not a slave. Okay? That's why there's joy in obedience. And if you still don't see it, I hope this helps. Let's go Deuteronomy 10. Deuteronomy 10. I'm going to pick up the pace because we're getting close to the end. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12. And now Israel, what does the Lord your, your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today for your good. And if you go back to 1 Samuel 15, you'll see that Samuel says that the Lord takes great delight in your obedience to Him. And so everything God commands us to do is for our good. And so what God is delighting in, when He delights in our obedience, He delights in our joy. Okay? So God delights in your joy. That's the reason that He commands your obedience. It's all wrapped in together. So how can we then not obey Him joyfully, knowing that the very reason He commands us to obey is for our everlasting, ever-increasing joy. Do you see that? He asks you to obey for your good and for your joy, and He takes great delight in your obedience to Him because He knows that it's the only way for you to have joy. It's not obedience out of terror. It's obedience out of love. And so the last point, so we listen and we obey and then we stand. And so what does God mean <clears throat> when He talks about our house standing or our house falling? I think He means two things. And the first thing is first because of its importance and first because the second reason flows from the first. Okay, So the first thing the storm represents is the great storm that we will all face at the end of the world, the time when Jesus returns to judge the earth. And so Jesus says, you hear and obey, and you will stand at the final judgment. And this is where you should say, hold up, what's all this talk about obedience? I was here when we went through Galatians in the summer, and every sermon sounded the same because they all kept saying that you're not saved because of works, you're saved because of faith in Christ. That's a good question to ask. So why are we then adding obedience? But these two things aren't in opposition. Okay, Faith and obedience are not opposed to each other. We love John 3.16 because it's so clear of what the Gospel is. 20 verses later, John 3.36, Jesus says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Yes. Amen. And His very next sentence is, But whoever does not obey the Son 
shall not see life. Faith and obedience are hand in hand. Charles Spurgeon said that faith is the fountain, the foundation, and the fosterer of obedience. Men don't obey till they believe God. So, just quickly look. Ephesians 2. Just Just to solidify this a bit before we move on. Philippians 2 starting in verse 8, and this is a great verse, and many of you know it, and it's great showing us again our salvation in Christ by faith. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then verse 10, For we are His worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Your obedience is not the basis of your salvation, but it is the necessary result. And so you can't just claim faith in Christ and then live the way you want to live and do what you want to do and give no attention to the commands of Jesus and then expect your house to stand during the storm. Jesus gives no guarantee of that. So you can't just say, Jesus died to give me life, and then live as though your life is your own. Hopefully, I'm clear there, because I really don't want to confuse anyone. Okay? But your salvation is through faith. It's through the finished work of Christ. And so, you read the words of God. You hear the words of God. And you say, yes, I'm saved through the finished work of Jesus Christ. There's nothing that I can do to add to that for my salvation. And then you're just spurred because of that to obey Him. To increase your relationship with Him. To love Him more. To have more joy, more peace. Okay? So the second thing I think the storm represents here is the struggles and suffering each one of us face, the storms of this life, whether it be the death of a friend, a family member, the loss of a job, the loss of your house, broken relationships, all those things. Jesus says that when you hear and obey His words, you will stand. And I don't say that casually, Because I know some of you are in situations where the windows are shaking in the house and you can feel each wave slam against the side of the house and it feels like it might collapse. But Jesus says, hear me and obey me and you will stand. And how can he say that? Because he knows that through your hearing you will know the promises of God on your life. You will see the holy, compassionate, wise character of a God who is completely for you, even in the midst of suffering. And through obeying, you will be conformed more into the likeness of of His Son, who in the midst of His suffering fully entrusted Himself to the One who judges justly, and for the joy set before Him, endured His own suffering. And that's why I say that the first one, standing, or the second one, standing, in life's storms flows from the first one of standing at the great storm, the final judgment, is because 
if we know that we're going to stand at the end and we can see the joy set before us, then what are the storms that we face here? Are they hard? Yes. Are they painful? Yes. But like Jesus, you fix your eyes on the overwhelming, everlasting joy laid up for you and you can endure. I'll end with this. William Cowper, he was a a poet and he wrote a lot of hymns in the 18th century and he knew a lot about the storms of this life. He, by the time he was six, he had already lost his mother and two siblings. He went to a boarding house where he was severely bullied and abused. Uh, He battled deep depression and tried to commit suicide multiple times. He was uh, not allowed to marry the woman that he loved. And it just goes on and on and on, okay? So he knew a thing about suffering, and he knew a thing about life's storms. And he wrote this poem. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. So if the bud has a bitter taste this morning, hear and obey, and sweet will be the flower. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you uh, that it is so accessible to us here and that we don't have any restrictions on reading it and that we can daily just hear from you and you can speak to us and you are a God who wants to be in relationship with us. And we thank you for the great promises that we have in it including this one, that if we hear and obey, we will stand. And so I just pray, Father, that you would make us, help us to be a people who love your word, a people who want to be in uh, communication with you, who want to hear from you, who want to daily go to prayer and talk to you, who want to uh, build that relationship with you. And we want to be not just hearers of the word, but we want to be doers of the word as well, Father. I pray that you would help this church, not to just hear sermons, hear uh, talks at Life Group, hear uh, Bible verses, but actually put them into practice and be a people who do the Word of God uh, for your glory. Uh, You said in this Sermon on the Mount that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in Heaven. And so we just pray, Father, that as this city and our friends and family observe us, that they wouldn't glorify us, but they would look to the one that we glorify, and they will glorify you through our hearing and our obeying, Father. We make that our prayer. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.